Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. This morning, we, uh, I want to talk to you about, um, I want to talk to you about developing a kingdom culture, learning to develop a kingdom of God culture in your life. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about kingdom. Overall, uh, we, well, we know that kingdom is derived from two words, king and domain. King is ruler, the one authority, and domain is the territory over which they rule. So a kingdom is a ruler who has authority over a particular people or area. There, we could say that there's two major kingdoms we speak of in, in the scripture. Now, there's different nations, countries, kingdoms we know. But in uh, the scripture we see there's the kingdom of God that's everlasting the kingdom of God, and then there's the kingdom of this world, and they are opposed. And the kingdom of this world we refer to as a uh, that's ruled by the enemy, that's ruled by the world system, it's not under God's authority, and so they're in constant opposition. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and all that's in it, the fullness thereof. So he's king, he's king. Uh, the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven is essentially the same. Sometimes uh, it, they have their shades of meaning throughout the New Testament. Uh, and according to where it's used in Scripture, you can see what that particular reference to the kingdom of God is, is focusing on. And the kingdom of heaven uh, most often or many times will focus to the fact of God's eternal reign up in heaven. It's a realm of his, uh, of his authority, his leadership, his kingship. So oftentimes it's focusing upon a place, the throne of God. But actually those two terms are used interchangeably, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Now when we say kingdom of God, we're talking not about a specific place or location. When we use the term kingdom of God, we're talking about God's rule and authority. His reign, R-E-I-G-N, His reign in our lives, His reign in a particular situation. And so uh, His kingdom happens when we yield to His authority. His kingdom is developed in our lives when we follow His authority, when we follow the principles that He set down for us in the Word, principles of the kingdom. Now, when that happens in our lives, when it happens in the church, it infiltrates the world around us, you see. It expands that kingdom because it affects, the kingdom of God in you will affect people around you. So it's very important that we learn about the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.33, one of the primary verses we've been using. And Jesus said, but seek first, more than anything else, above everything else. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's referring back to the previous verses, talking about all those things that people worry about. The food, clothing, house, the things, that, what we call the essentials of life. Don't be all wrapped up and worried about that. If you'll seek first His authority... Seek first his principles and follow them. Everything else will come. Just learn to put me first, he says. Let me do a flyover, recap of last week where we talked about the kingdom, where we saw that the kingdom was God's original plan and intent. He created man, woman, on earth to 
take dominion and authority over this earth to spread the kingdom of God throughout the land. When he created man, he gave man that dominion, that authority, that man was to rule under God's rule and we would see the kingdom of God developed, God's principles, God's way, God's blessings over the entire earth. This earth was never created for the enemy. This earth was created as an expansion of the kingdom of God. So that's what happened. Unfortunately, man who was given us authority forfeited it and rebelled against God's authority, God's kingdom, and thus surrendered to another, the, the enemy, Satan, the serpent, and thus man came under another authority. And the results of this were horrible and tragic that we still see today. However, God in his mercy and grace had already provided a way through which if the kingdom is lost, the kingdom could be restored. And that's the account we have throughout the scriptures of how from Genesis 3.15 where the promise of the seed, speaking of the Jesus, the Son of God that would be born, that the promise of one that God would send and then that promise follows throughout the Old Testament. Someone is coming. Someone is coming. Someone is coming to restore back to give back what was lost. And that someone was God's very own son who became flesh. And he had to become flesh because man gave authority over the earth to a man. And the only way that authority for God to continue, and God keeps his word. God lives, God does not contradict himself. And when he gave authority to man over the earth, that stood, that stood forever. And so the only way that kingdom could be restored back was for man to conquer it back. But it was a different man. It was a second Adam, if you will. It was God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, born in the flesh, who lived a perfect life, gave his life for us on the cross, overcame the power of the enemy through his sacrifice, through his blood, and defeated the enemy and regained the kingdom. In fact, when Jesus was on the earth, he talked more about the kingdom pretty much than he did anything else. That was his primary focus. His central message was the kingdom. Mark 1.14 says Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. He said the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Luke 17.21, the kingdom of God is in your midst, he said. John 18.36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, it wasn't an earthly kingdom at that time. Most people, most of the Jewish people around thought that's what it would be. Even the disciples thought that he was coming to establish, uh, to take over the world essentially, take over the reign, over the kings, over the emperors, that he would then be king, restored as King David was in the Old Testament. He would be the man in power, God's special Messiah and king. However, that was not God's plan. First of all, man had to be redeemed, and the only way man could be redeemed was through the sacrifice of that one that was perfect. That one was 100% God, 100% man, and Jesus regained the kingdom, but the kingdom is something that lives, on in, in, lives inside of us. The kingdom is an atmosphere that God works in as his principles are followed. The kingdom is not talking about a specific place. Now, Jesus is coming again, and when he does, he will set up rule on the earth and reign for a thousand years millennial kingdom. So then, yes, he will set up a kingdom here on earth. But in his, in his uh, life, he came to live and, and give and uh, 
first coming of Jesus, it was not that way. John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of the world. Acts 1, 3, Jesus ascended back to heaven, or before he ascended back to heaven, he appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days. And what did he talk about? The kingdom, kingdom. So he came back to regain it, and he did. So the fourth thing we said was that he came to regain the kingdom, but then through him, the kingdom is restored. You see, this is like so many other things when it comes to the Christian life, when it comes to faith, isn't it? God has provided all of these things. God has blessed us with so much. And it's all there for the taking. But it must be taken by faith. That's how we receive from God. And that's the way it is here. That Jesus came and regained the kingdom. But the only way you're going to have kingdom life restored in you is if you if you know Jesus as Savior, if you respond in faith and say yes, and then if you appropriate what God has already done in, for you and given to you. So the only way restoration is really going to take place is if you allow it, if you invite it. You understand the importance of receiving? That you have all this available, but it doesn't work in our lives unless we receive it and appropriate it by faith. So very important. We must receive this by faith. First John chapter 3, verse 8 for this reason or purpose, the Son of God was manifested or appeared. Why? Why? Well, we know Jesus came to live as an example. He came to live to, to reveal to us the Father. He came to do miracles and great wonders. Uh, he came to die on the cross for us. But here it says, for the purpose of the Son of God was manifested or took place in order to destroy the works of the devil, that kingdom, and to take back to take back what had been lost. That comes through him. Jesus said, I'm the way. I am the truth. I am the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's where it starts. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who comes to Christ is a new creation. Think about it this way. The cross is the entrance, the doorway. And Jesus referred to himself as the door sometimes. We should never lose sight of the cross. Thank God for the cross, the sacrifice cross. Without it, it's all useless and in vain. The cross. Without it, there's no salvation. Without it, there's no hope. The cross, the resurrection. But oftentimes what we see is we respond to that message of the cross and view it as an open door. And when you receive Christ as Savior because of what he did for you on the cross, it's like open the door to your house. It's like open the door to your house. You step in. But what has happened tragically is so many people have stepped through the door and they just stand there. They stay there. Waiting for heaven. Holding on till Jesus comes. Making it through with God's help. Oh, that's good. It's okay. But do you understand that if you walk into a house and you stay at the door, you'll never benefit from everything else that's in that house. You'll never experience it. It'll, it'll never, uh, you, you'll never benefit from those blessings. You'll never partake of it. It's all there, 
but you got to move beyond the door. And I've found over the years that so many of us kind of moved in when we accepted Christ and thank God for that. Without the beginning, we call it the new birth for a reason. We must do that. But after that, that's not the end of the story. God wants us from that point to learn how to then explore and experience all that he has provided for us through Jesus. And that is the life of the kingdom. How to live out the kingdom of God. There's so much more here than what I seem to be able to get across. Because as I've prayed over the last few weeks and I've studied and I've been in scripture and I've looked at this. In a good sense of the word, I've just kind of at times been overwhelmed by it. I said, God, you've done so much for us. And God, I'm so sorry, but we have missed so much of this in our lives and in the church. Salvation is so much more than receiving forgiveness of my sins. Thank God for it. That's necessary. But it's so much more than that and it's so much more than being promised a home in heaven. Salvation is so much more. Colossians 1.13, the scripture says, for he, the Lord Jesus, has rescued us, get this now, he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. When you came to Christ, your citizenship was transferred. You are no longer a citizen of the world system. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. We're to be under his authority, his reign, living according to what pleases the king. That's where we're to be. Now, every kingdom can be defined by a culture. Culture is, uh, culture is how you do life. It's, um, it's the beliefs and customs, traditions, the characteristics of a particular nation or group of people. A culture is how we think how we view reality. A culture is, 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 is what, what's our priorities? What do we value? A culture is your boundaries. A culture speaks of how you relate to people, how you relate to finances, how you think about the future. All this is enveloped in a particular culture. What culture you live in? Culture influences your entire life. Culture influences your worldview. There are seven major areas in culture. I'm just going to name them, and you think of them as I name them. Uh, first of all, one of the major influences or elements in culture is social organizations. In culture, you, every culture, you'll find certain social organizations. I like to emphasize relationships. You find certain uh, standards of relationships or ideas of relationships, family. You know, in some cultures, family is not very important. As we've gone to different nations before, we've seen that they have a very different culture when it comes to how you relate to one another and to the family itself. Then a culture, uh, one of the elements of culture is uh, your traditions or your customs. Every culture has kind of its own traditions, its own customs. 
different. You quickly realize that when you travel outside this country. Also, the language. Every culture has its own language. They may have different dialects, different languages are spoken there, but it has its primary language that's spoken there. Every culture has its own arts or literature or music. That's their culture. They're, they're, you go to certain countries, they play a particular style of music or there's certain things that, uh, as far as uh, literature and, and media that are important to them. Uh, Every culture, uh, every country has a, uh, in every culture there is a government. There's certain ideas of government and laws. In every country or place, there's a particular culture when it comes to finances, how you handle your money, your finances. In every culture, there's a, the uh, influence or the main element of religion. What, what type of religion or, or relationships you have with a deity or God. Now, think of those seven Social organizations or relationships or family, traditions and customs, language, arts, uh, media, literature, music, government and laws, economics and religion. Now, you go to different places and you'll see how their culture affects every one of these things, right? We found when we went to uh, Bolivia at one time that that here, oftentimes in worship and in, uh, we have candlelight services and things from time to time here. We use candles. And we found uh, in going to Bolivia that it, it caused a real stir one time, uh, not particularly our group, but another group that had been there and some things, maybe a wedding, something's going on there uh, from, from outside that culture. And in the church building there, they, they lit candles. And this upset quite a few people because in their culture, that culture with a, with a Keshuan and with a, those that are there high in the Andes, in that particular culture, many of them had come to see candles as associated with a, a, a Roman Catholicism that was practiced there. And the Roman Catholicism that was practiced there, as in many other countries, is a strange mixture of paganism and, Roman, and Catholicism. It's, it's very, it's, it's in many ways different than it is here. And so that particular thing in their culture was, was taboo. No, no. Now, I look at all these elements and I think, okay, now God, you want, you want the infiltration. You want your kingdom to come in all these areas. Think about what that would mean to bring about God's kingdom, his way, what he desires into our family. Let's live out the kingdom of God culture in our family. Then you go to the word and you find out exactly how God says to live in your family. Husband, wife, wife, husband, parents, children. When you follow that, his instruction, you're bringing the kingdom of God into your family. You're exposing your family to that culture. And it's a good thing because you want to be assimilated in it. You want, to, you want your family to be an expression of the kingdom of God. In our language, the language we use. There's certain kinds of language that as members, citizens of the kingdom of God, we don't want to use. It dishonors God, brings a reproach on our witness. Certain kind, in our language, we should certainly be hospitable and loving and caring. We should speak the truth in love and profanity should have no part there. Why? Because the kingdom of God has invaded that area of our lives. Language. You can go right on down the list. In the media, what we watch, what we listen to. 
how we're governed, how we handle our finances. God, we want your way in this. God, we want your way in our family. God, we want your way in our relationships. We want your way in our, in our customs of the tra- traditions, things we follow in our lives, the patterns. We want your way in our language, in, in what we listen to, what we allow to enter in our life. We want your way, Lord, in, in, in our government and our laws. We want your way in how we handle our money and our finances and in our faith and our confidence in you as our Lord. We want your way in it. Your kingdom come. Your, we be, your will be done in every one of these areas. And it transforms it. Because the problem is so often is we have been transferred into another kingdom, but we're still living like we're back in the old one. Because what happens many times is there's a failure to assimilate. To assimilate. And, and uh, people get, uh, they, they get born again, but they never assimilate into the kingdom of God. And assimilate means to become like or to adapt to. Never adapt to being a, a, a citizen of the kingdom of God. The problem, the lack of assimilation. Well, just think from the, from, as an example, look at the idea of America and immigration in America and assimilation. There has been, unfortunately, a, uh, a lot of political correctness that's got involved in this argument when it comes to immigration that's... Uh, Well, it's actually crazy because people, when they make the argument that America is the melting pot of the world, they, 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 they don't understand that when people come into this nation, a part of entering into a nation or migrating into a nation is to adapt to that nation and to assimilate into it. Not to establish your own little country within a country. And what's happened now over the years is, well, let's just keep all of our borders open. Doesn't matter who comes in because everybody has a right. And these poor people come into the country and they work hard. We have lost sight of the fact that we are also a nation of laws. And these laws are very important because if you can break one law, then what about other laws? I believe that as Christians, we need to have a heart for those who want to come and make a better life for themselves. We need to have a heart for those that, have, that are in very poor uh, circumstances and that America is a new hope for them. We should have a heart for those folks. And we should make every way possible to help them come in legally and assimilate into this nation. But what has happened is we have just opened the doors and allowed people to flood into this area who refuse to assimilate because they want the benefits of this country, but they really don't want to be a part of this country. And the unfortunate thing about it is, is that the culture of this country, though it has changed and shifted to, uh, in, an, in, an, in, an, in an unfortunate way over the past 20, 30 years, but it was the culture of this nation in its founding days, in its beginning days, 
that was built upon over the years a Judeo-Christian ethic and foundation this country was built upon which God blessed because it was allowing his kingdom to work in this nation and the results of it was a blessed nation. Not because we're any more loved than any other nation or people. But because this country established in the beginnings was established to say, Lord, we want your kingdom to come here in this place. Now, America's messed up a lot of times and we've been some horrible things done, even in the name of Christianity. But the culture of this nation was established on the bedrock of the word of God, on the bedrock of following his principles. And when we allow then people to come in to assimilate that and bring in, bring in their own laws, their own belief systems, all of those things and say, we just want to live here. We want to live in this place, but we don't want to be a part of this country. Every country has a language. Now, let me ask you a question. You know, when we look at this, we don't want to be unkind in any way. And I don't think that we have to be. But I've been in other countries, you know. Uh, and the problem, oftentimes when people come to this country, they don't assimilate into a new culture they just carve out their own. And the only place where you can really get by with that is the United States. I've been to other places. Some of you have. When you go to other countries, they don't change their laws to suit you. They don't allow you to stay there illegally either. They don't change their language to suit you. And they don't change their traditions to suit you. Only in America is that expected. The whole issue is people understanding the importance of assimilating or adapting into a greater culture. Now, that doesn't mean that you lose your identity. You understand that? I mean, if you, if you move, if you have some other type of, 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 come from another nation, another nationality, and you come to this country, you have your own traditions, you have, you know, it, it's your past, it's your life. You can live in a country and still enjoy many of those traditions and enjoy the fact that you, are, are, you come from a, a particular different culture. You can enjoy certain aspects of that culture, but you don't intend for that culture to have dominion over this culture of this country. You don't lose your identity if you're from another place, but there's a reason why they call it the United States of America. One nation, under God. It's important. And it just gives us such a clear picture as to, how, as to how even with the kingdom of God, we can know what the Bible talks about the kingdom of God. We can hear someone talk about different aspects of living that lifestyle. And yet over the years for much of the church, we've stood just at the door. And we've not moved on in and assimilated in, adapted to what his kingdom is like. Does that make any sense? I'd like to hear a little bit louder on that. Does that make any sense? I, it did to me, but I, I you know. But uh, so, unfortunately, you know, the America we live in today is not the same America I grew up in. And that's uh, true for many of you. The America that your children grow up and your grandchildren grow up in might be very different than the one you are living in right now.
Much of the culture of this country has been hijacked by humanism, secularism, media, entertainment, public universities, government organizations. You know, I've never before in my life witnessed so much venom and hatred for Christian principles. Hatred. There are avowed open atheists now that are running for Congress. They promote themselves that way. And so there is, life is different now than it was 40, 50 years ago. There's been a shift in culture. Our nation, our children, our families do not belong to Satan and do not belong to this world system. But what are we going to do about it? And you know, I think also somewhere along the line, we, we adapted a church culture. You know, every church has a culture. Your family has a culture. Church has a culture. All God's children have a culture. The culture is the way we do life. Every church has a way they do life, the way they think about things, the way they operate. Every local church does. We need to look at it and say, okay, God, what kind of culture? If the church lives out the kingdom of God lifestyle, what kind of culture will we have? What will we value? What, what will we value? What will we focus on? How will we respond to others? How will, how will it affect our mission and our vision? It's good for us to take a look at this because, you know, the church is only mentioned a couple times in the New Testament. The kingdom is mentioned over a hundred times. And we've made our focus on the church, the church, the church, the church. And I don't belittle the importance of the church. It's the body of Christ and we are many members. But the church is not an end in and of itself. The church is a means to an end. It's a vehicle to bring us into the kingdom of God. Now can I ask you, does that make sense? And yet all the time we've been just kind of allowed ourselves to be surrounded by the church, the church, the church. Do we understand that somewhere along the line that the church is not assimilated into the kingdom of God. We're not adapted to it. We have our own programs, church programs. We have our own, it's church, it's church, it's church. Thank God for the church. But somewhere over the years, that's allowed some things to happen. Changed our mindset about the church, hasn't it? To where for many people, the church is an organization. Right? The church is a building. The church is a denomination. The church is something they attend on Sunday mornings. But when we study the scripture, the kingdom of God, when we study the New Testament, church wasn't about getting together the first day of the week. It was about the church expressing and expanding the kingdom of God and then getting together once a week or ever how often they got together, getting together to celebrate the kingdom and to learn how to expand that kingdom even more. It wasn't about a particular gathering. Why? Why is this important? Because it's, somehow or another, it's, it has divided life between a spiritual, into a spiritual side and a secular side. There's your spiritual life and then there's your secular life. But that, that division doesn't exist in the scripture. The kingdom of God comes into every area of our life. 
This is crucial. This is very important. It's nothing new, but it's extremely important. God's intention was for the church to be kingdom-minded, to embrace it, expand it, and extend it. Now, let me quickly give you four things. I'll walk through them rather, rather quickly here. I'll give you four things that will help you, that will help us develop a kingdom culture in our lives. All right? Developing kingdom culture. Number one, we need to cultivate an awareness of his presence. We need to cultivate an awareness of his presence. Well, God's everywhere. I'm the presence. Yes, he is. But do you live daily with an awareness of his presence? Is this something that you're conscious of on a regular basis? The Lord's with me. Thank you. And, and that's just grace. It's being aware of God's grace and his favor in your life every day. And how, how do you cultivate that? You cultivate it through praise. When you praise the Lord, you can expect to experience his presence. You cultivate it through worship. You cultivate it as you pray. You can even cultivate his presence as you uh, meditate upon the word. You can cultivate his presence in your life even as you minister to others. Because let me tell you, over, my, over many, year, many years in the Christian life, for me, um, there were times when in, in sharing with someone, maybe it was going through very difficult times or praying over someone or trying to help them walk through a difficult situation, that the Lord would reveal certain things to share to them. And as you were serving and as you were ministering to them, you sensed you were aware of the presence of God. So when you give of yourself and when you serve others, that will, I think you will begin to experience a greater awareness of the presence of the Lord because you're dependent on Him. People often have gone on the mission field and certain mission teams uh, come back and they share, you know, that mission team was so very important because our time together while we were in another country, you know, we were more dependent on the Lord and we were more dependent on one another there. We just, we were so aware of the Lord's presence there. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> why in some cases did it seem like we were more aware of God's presence there than we were when we, when we got back home? It's because we were more dependent. We were more tuned in. We were listening. <clears throat> and, and, and I want to suggest to you that <clears throat> we can develop a culture. We can cultivate in us where we live throughout the week, where we're living every day, whether it's at work or school, at home, whatever. You can cultivate an awareness that the Lord's grace and favor, his presence is with you. You know, that'll help you. I said, that'll help you. It really will. So that, that's extremely important because, you know, you and I will always reflect the nature that we're most aware of. <clears throat> I guess I'll say that again. You and I will always reflect the nature that we're most aware of. So if we're most aware of his presence, who will, be, who will we reflect? The second thing is, it's important cultivating or developing a, a kingdom culture is to value the relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit.
We all understand that God is God the Father. We all understand that Jesus is the Son who was sent, who came to give his life for us on the cross, who did so, was raised from the dead and ascended to the Father and sits at the right hand of God making intercession for us. That's what the scripture says. But who lives in us? We say Jesus is in my heart. What we really mean by that is that is that Jesus lives in my heart through the person of the Holy Spirit. See, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will not testify of himself. He'll testify of Jesus. That's what Scripture says. And so the, the person who was commissioned to bring us to a place where we receive Christ, that is to convict us or convince us that we need Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's when you felt, you know, that, uh, when you felt that God was convicting you or showing your need, you know, you felt like you need to come forward to the altar or whatever, something going on inside of you. That was no doubt the work of the Holy Spirit. It could have been emotions, but most time it's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And it's God drawing you by his spirit to respond and say yes to him. But once you say yes to him, what happens? The Bible says that when you're saved, he comes to live in you. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you. The Bible says any man that does not have the spirit of Christ is none of his. And the spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit has come to live in you. So often the third person of the Trinity is neglected. We talk about the Father and we talk about the Son, but we don't talk much about the Holy Spirit. Or in, in some traditions referred to as the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit's God, deity. The Holy Spirit's important because He's the one that's working in our lives right now. So we'll never really develop a kingdom culture unless we learn to develop, and I'm going to use the word in studying about trying to teach men, men about God, and I, you know, I read a book here recently, why, 10 Reasons Why Men Hate Church. <clears throat> and there's a lot of truth in parts of it. But, you know, one of them said is there's certain languages that we use in the church that are more feminine than masculine. And a lot of times guys are kind of turned off by that. And I'm going to use one of those words sometimes that guys don't identify with as much as women do. But we need to we need to value an intimacy, an intimacy with the Holy Spirit, closeness. We pray to the Father in Jesus' name and the Holy Spirit is the one who carries out, demonstrates the kingdom through us. So very important to value the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's okay for you just to meditate. You know, we say pray the Father in the name of Jesus, but it's all right for you to talk to the Holy Spirit. Of course it is. When you're praying, at times say, Holy Spirit, I want to hear you. Holy Spirit, you're my guide. You know, the Bible says he's our guide. He's our teacher. He's our paraclete or the one who stands alongside to comfort us. So how important it is, if we're going to develop the kingdom culture, how important is it for you and I to have a strong, personal, intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit in our lives? 
Now, there's another dimension of the Holy Spirit beyond receiving Him into your heart when you're saved, and that is being baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's simply stepping into a, another level or dimension where you're allowing yourself to be filled, controlled, overflowing with the presence and with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And folks, every one of us need that. And then it needs to be cultivated. It's not a one-time experience only. It's an experience that you walk out where you are being filled with the Holy Spirit every day as you're conscious of His presence and as you yield yourself to the person of the Holy Spirit. That was a long sentence. But it's true. You know, there's two things in the Scripture. Well, there's three things we're told in the Scripture not to do concerning the Holy Spirit. One of them is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, and I won't get into that. That's a whole other level there. But what we're focusing on today, there's two important things when you learn to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. You know, the Holy Spirit will show you things. When you're talking to someone, you need wisdom, help the Holy Spirit will show you things. I'm talking about practical things. If you're at the job and work, and you're trying to work through a particular problem and everything, ask, the, ask God to help you. Holy Spirit, show me. Holy Spirit, show me, help me. He's there for you. God gave him to be there for you. Jesus told his disciples, and it's true for us in many ways. He told his disciples in Luke 24, 49, he said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father. This is the Holy Spirit. I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry or stay in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high, which happened in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit came to the upper room. Do you understand that these men had already been sent and had healed the sick, cast out demons. Jesus breathed on them the Spirit. There was an appropriation of the Spirit upon them as they did the work. And even 70 people went out two by two and did that kind of work. And they said, Jesus, don't leave. Jesus, don't leave. We want you to stay here. And especially after he, after he was, uh, was uh, raised from the dead, Jesus, we don't want you to leave. And the whole, the whole message of Jesus was, look, guys, it's much better if I go. Because if I go to the Father, he will send one who is the comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he will not only be with you, but he will be in you. I'm trusting that this ministry I'm trusting you to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And oh, how we, the two things that are important for us as believers to, not to do is, and it's often done, is it says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, when we allow disobedience or sin or rebellion in our life, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We grieve Sad. Hurt. It's amazing to think about God that way, isn't it? We grieve the Holy Spirit. The other thing it says is don't quench the Holy Spirit. And by quench, you're cutting off what God really wants to do. You are limiting God. You're limiting the Holy Spirit. He says don't quench. Don't hold back. Don't forbid. Important, folks. It's so important for us to learn to develop that kind of value, that kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Do you see this as something that, that you could work on? Do you see this as something that you can respond to and say, yes, pastor, you know what? I need to begin daily to, to value and appreciate and enjoy an intimate, a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit that lives in me. And I'm telling you what, if you will do that, you will begin. I don't want people to get carried away and get over in the, just the physical realm because this is a life of faith. But if you'll do that, you will begin to sense 
you will begin to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. You will. Should be something we want because the word says <clears throat> the same spirit. My favorite verses in the Bible. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Now, if he can do that, wow. Thirdly, <clears throat> thirdly, if you want to develop a kingdom culture in your life, then <clears throat> learn to expect a demonstration of his power. Expect a demonstration of his power, supernatural. Some churches don't believe in the supernatural anymore. <clears throat> Some people believe that it was for years ago, but not for the church today. There are some phonies. There are some charlatans. There are some things that's just merely emotional. That's just merely emotional, not real. But miracles and supernatural are for today. Healings for the well. You know, people say, I, I just don't believe that because I, I don't see that. Well, that's the reason you don't see it. You don't believe it. And don't we all deal with that? Hey, let's, let's just be up front with this. Even those of us who have been Christians for a long time, those of you who feel, don't we deal with that from time to time? When you see a situation that requires a miracle, when you see a situation where you're believing God for supernatural, there's all kinds of opportunities to doubt. There's all kinds of opportunities to rationalize as to why that may or may not happen. We're afraid to put ourselves out there. We're afraid to take the risk because we don't want to embarrass ourselves and we don't want to bring a reproach or embarrass God. I think God just says, don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. God says, don't worry about my reputation. Be just fine. Learn how to step out in faith. Learn how to expect God to do the miraculous. The miraculous can be very small things that seem insignificant or they can be great things of supernatural events and healing. Let me tell you what, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I don't care what anybody says, what any church practices, what any denomination says, I will go to heaven believing that the supernatural miracles are for today and should be operative in his church because the kingdom of God should be expressed through us. Yes. We don't live, our faith is not based upon what we see, but you and I as a church should get to a place to where we literally and very strongly expect the supernatural to take place and not just in a church building. In fact, it probably should start out there where you are. Maybe it should start out with you teachers as you pray over your students. Now, I know there might be certain limitations to how you do that. I understand, use wisdom there, all right. Maybe it could be in the workplace. Maybe it could be in the home where there's sickness or problem there. Perhaps dads could learn before anything else, before a doctor's call or any medicine's given, and doctor's good and medicine's good. But the first thing that dads and moms would step in, lay hands on a child and pray for them, that God would touch them and heal them. Perhaps there's some things that we could start doing that would advance the kingdom of God in our, in, in, in our thinking, in our real life. And that is to expect a miracle. And for many people, they seemingly expected a miracle over and over and over again. It didn't happen. And they just kind of gave up and backed away. Can I encourage you this morning? Don't let up. 
Whether you see anything or not, don't let up. God is at work. God's at work. And we will begin to see more and more of this happen out in the workplace, out in the secular, because the kingdom of God's not limited to a church building on Sunday morning. The kingdom of God is not limited because it's God working in you as an individual, expanding the kingdom through you so it affects the people you work with and the people you go to school with. It affects your family. It's the explosion of the kingdom of God in your life. What an awesome thing that could be. What an awesome thing that could be. We should learn to expect that. Jesus said these things, and he was referring to miracles, casting out demons, supernatural things. Jesus speaking to his followers said, these things will you do and greater because I go to the Father. He said, you'll do even greater things than you've seen me do. Amazing statement, amazing. But remember, he ends it with, because I go to the Father. Well, why is that significant? Because he goes to the Father. He's at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And he had to go to the Father before the Holy Spirit could be sent. So it, 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 according to your relationship with the Holy Spirit and yielding to his power and anointing, you will see the, mir the miraculous and the supernatural. We needed the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives for that to happen. So we saw presence. We saw the person of the Holy Spirit. We saw the power that should happen in our lives. Luke chapter 10 says... Uh, that uh, Jesus sent 10, uh, 70 out two by two and he said, heal the sick, authenticating the message. Say the kingdom of God is near you now. Matthew 16, 19 says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind or forbid in heaven will be bound or forbidden uh, on earth. Whatever you loose or permit on earth will be loosed or permitted in heaven. And now <clears throat> it's important. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven has already been done. It speaks of authority. Every Christian has been given authority. We don't do the miracles. We don't perform the supernatural. It's the Holy Spirit doing it through us. There's an aspect of ministry that we overlook at times. And that's an aspect of impartation. Even in laying hands on people, when you lay hands on, for some people it's just a symbol. That's all right, God's authority. God, you lay hands, you care about them, you're praying for them. But do you understand as believers, when we allow the Holy Spirit to have reign in our life, to rule, when we get the word of God established in us to where we walk it out in faith and we believe what God says, when we let the grace of God do its work in us, the way God wants to, then when you release that in words or even laying hands on people, something actually flows through you to that person. And it's not you doing the work, but it's the work of God coming through you. An example of that in the scripture, Jesus and the woman with the issue of blood. She had a disease and never been able to, she spent all of her money on doctors, Stayed sick. <clears throat> Jesus was walking along and the crowd was around him. I'm sure that people were bumping up against him. No doubt. Surrounded by a crowd of people. But here comes this one woman <clears throat> who believes and she confesses with her mouth. She confesses. She says it. It's an act of faith. She says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be well. I'll be healed. So she pressed on in among the crowd. And there in the middle of the crowd, she touched the hem of his garment. 
And immediately, Jesus turned and said, basically, who touched me? Something came out of me. <clears throat> now, that didn't deplete him in any way. He didn't lose anything because the Holy Spirit's not a pond inside of us. The Holy Spirit is a river inside of us. And when the Holy Spirit is working in us, that river flows in our life and out of our lives to others. And so oftentimes what the reason we're not seeing what we could see is because we are not allowing the power, the ministry, the, 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 the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that when we do pray for someone, it happens. Sometimes we just kind of cry out emergency, emergency, emergency. Here's a need I need, you know, one of the most challenging things in my life concerning praying for people has been when maybe I've been struggling with some areas in my own life, haven't spent the time in the Word that I need to spend in the Word, haven't prayed like I really should be praying, and someone will call me with an emergency and want me to pray for them or will come by or, or go by their house and pray for them. And you just, you know, you can't go by feelings, but you, you deal with this area. Lord, I, man, I wish I'd been more, I wish I'd been more prepared. I wish I'd been more prepared. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go through the motions. And to the best of my ability, I'm going to move in faith. But I wish I'd been more prepared. I feel, I really feel uh, unprepared for this. Well, we don't depend upon ourselves. We depend on the strength. But there is an aspect of us allowing God to work in us and his power to work in us in such a way that when there is an opportunity or a need that comes to us, then resident within us is that spirit, that river, that when you pray for people, something supernatural happens. I'm not talking about weird here. I'm talking about God, the kingdom of God. The very last thing is, uh, if we're going to develop a kingdom culture, then what we have to do is just simply put it into practice. Where we live. Our lifestyle, we Christ-like, faith, honorable people, Loving people. So very important we learn to do this. Don't want to stop short of the kingdom. That's what happened to a lot of Christians. We don't want to do that anymore. Kingdom citizenship is about recognizing our place, our rights through Jesus Christ. It's about claiming those rights, rights so we can fulfill his purpose here on earth. And folks, you and I can create a culture around us. You and I can change the atmosphere around us. When, God, when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, his eternal, unshakable spiritual kingdom will be advanced in this earth. And this is extremely important for us to do. Extremely. So much more I could say here. But I just want to encourage you today. Don't miss the cross. That's the open door. Make sure today that you have that you have come to Christ your Savior, that you have been born again, that you have entered into this new life, the kingdom of God. But don't just stay there. Start tearing down the walls between sacred church activities and secular business activities and start seeing your job and your business as avenues to reach people with the message of hope and purpose in Jesus. To demonstrate it in our home and in our family. To put it into practice. Matthew 24, 14 says that the gospel 
or the good news of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. What kingdom would be, what, what message would be preached? The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations and then the, then the end will come. I want to suggest to you that though in many, it seems that evangelism, that the gospel of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross has reached almost every nation in the world. The gospel of the kingdom has not been preached to all the world. He says, when this happens, then the end will come. Let's advance the kingdom. Let's get the kingdom of God culture going in our lives. Holy Spirit, help us understand that.